0: Welcome to Living at the Mercy of the Moment, a new podcast created especially for the pandemic. I'm Shira Dicker, your host. Living at the Mercy of the Moment invites you to join an intimate conversation between me and Jeanette Peirutz-Elsner. Jeanette is the author of the forthcoming autobiography, MS's Metaphor, A Memoir of Life at the Mercy of the Moment. This work documents her almost improbably challenging life journey, which culminated in the development of multiple sclerosis when she was a young woman. As you will discover, Jeanette has a message for listeners and the world at large. If you want help surviving this impossibly difficult moment, speak to her. This is episode four, Made Strong, MS is Not for Sissies. Welcome to Jeanette and to David Elsner, Jeanette's son, who will join us at the end of the broadcast.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. And good morning to you, David.
1: Good morning, Sarah.
0: Good morning. So in last week's episode, we discussed the bond we share with Jeanette, which is through my father, who was your therapist for several decades. My dad, Henry Dicker, now 89 years old, is a rabbi and a psychologist, and it is my hope that he will be able to appear as a guest on our podcast in the upcoming weeks. He is the wisest, most compassionate man I know. Today's episode, as I mentioned, is entitled Made Strong, MS is Not for Sissies. Herein, we will have a frank conversation about the ravages that MS inflicts on the human body. Jeanette, this is your episode. I will be turning the microphone over to you shortly, asking you to take the listeners on a journey of your relationship with MS, for it is a relationship of sorts, albeit an abusive one. In episode two, Jeanette, you spoke movingly, even poetically, about the tearing, tearing sensation in your neck, which is caused by your disease. You live at the mercy of the moment, not knowing when you'll have a flare-up or a progression of neurological decline. I want to ask you to start off by taking us on a chronological journey, picking up where we left off last time with the recognition of the symptoms in your early 30s, or I believe it may even have been earlier than that.
2: Yes, in my teens, early 20s, I had strange symptoms. I didn't know what they were, but I would have occasional tingling or dizziness, um, strange sensations, but I didn't identify them. I, I really thought nothing of them and they just passed and never thought about them again. Around the age of 30, I was highly stressed. Stressful things were occurring in my life. And virtually within a day or two, I woke up in a full paralysis. So it was a shock, The shock is what we're going through in the world now. Suddenly my whole world changed without any warning and I woke up paralyzed. And I was in the hospital for several months. After being in the hospital in Mount Sinai, I had a full recovery. And I thought that was the end of it. Nothing else, nothing happened. I seemed fine, I resumed working and everything was great. Then suddenly again, after the birth of my first son, Jonathan, I started having symptoms coming and going, but again, I didn't take anything. uh, It wasn't noteworthy to me. I just thought I wasn't feeling well. And then after the birth of my second son, David, something I strikingly became aware that something was wrong. So I pretty much diagnosed myself, given that I was, uh, at that time, my age, I was in my late 30s, and I assumed that I had MS. Given my age, my symptoms, being the daughter of a physician, I went to a neurologist, and he, point blank, said to me, you have multiple sclerosis. Well, I was devastated. I was shocked. I was upset because People don't want to know. I didn't want that confirmation of what I really knew I had, but I had to deal with it. He told me I have MS. Given my nature, I said, "This is. I'm devastated." I was like a, a Kubler Ross. I was experiencing uh, anger, and I started going through the different stages of grief. However, I had to mobilize myself, and I said, "If I have this horrible disease," I have to live my life in the best beautiful ways possible. So I began my journey trying to make this disease, this MS expressed in the most beautiful way. So I went to an artist and I had different canes, canes with flowers. Mm. Actually, my first cane was with the initials of my children, a cane with initials of my children, canes with flowers. I have a wonderful cane with uh, a volcano erupting, a fire, different for different moods of raindrops, of teardrops, different um, moods expressing my feelings. So I I had beautiful canes. As my disease progressed, Unfortunately, I loved my canes. My canes were cool. I would walk around with my swagger, dress beautifully with my cane. And unfortunately, my disease started, the MS started to progress. And no longer, the canes could not uphold me any longer. So I had to progress, and that was a, a loss. I was grieving. I went to a walker, a walker tripod. So I use a walker, but what saddened me about the walker, several things. I was advancing from the cane and I couldn't make my walker look cool. I was saying put bows on it. Uh I tried that, but it just didn't look cool. Didn't look cool. But I used my walker and I was grateful that I was able to still move with a walker. And I used my walker to go wherever driving. I would throw my walker in the back of the car. And uh, my walker befriended me for, for a period of time. Uh, I would say I used my walker for maybe eight years. Uh, the reason I was able to use my walker that long, I take very good care of myself. I continue to work out. So I try to enhance my well-being as long as possible. After the walker, after eight, ten years of walker, I gradually transitioned into uh, a wheelchair for distances i am still able to to move ambulate i walk dif- with difficulty with a walker slowly but i was i had to go for distances with a wheelchair which was devastating for me because i saw myself slowly becoming worse Um, I remember at my son Jonathan's wedding three years ago, I bought myself a beautiful wheelchair for his wedding. I said, well, this will be my throne. So it was kind of like a a beautiful Burberry wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, tried to make the best of the situation to enhance it in the most beautiful, proactive way. So, Jeanette,
0: um, I, I'm going to bring the conversation now to a little bit more focus. And um, before I do that, I want to jump on the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross reference. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was really at the end of uh, March, certainly before Passover, which came in April this year, all of a sudden everyone discovered Kubler Ross and the, the stages of grieving, right? Which often begins with denial. And you're right to make the connection between your disease and finding about your your disease and COVID. In fact, that was one of our underlying ideas about the relevance of this podcast at this moment. You may notice that the tagline is that this is this is a podcast for this moment in the pandemic. So when you when you just mentioned this that your first your first reaction was denial that's so human um we avoid going to doctors often we have a a a worrisome symptom we have a lump under our skin um now there is um something is a, a a a disease is is on the loose around the world And it makes me feel slightly more charitable towards the people who refuse to wear masks or the people who even just disregard the science by understanding that they are in denial. Do you think that it is just that human denial that's really fueling some of the um, anti-scientific or what strikes us as either ignorant or inconsiderate behavior of people who refuse to uh, abide by the public safety protocol of distancing and mask wearing and all that kind of stuff
2: yes i do because it is this is so shocking what happened it's it's uh, analogous to what happened to me overnight mm-hmm. my life there was a revolution my life radically changed the entire world it's it's shocking. Everybody's moments, lives, in some way, has been touched. Everyone. So there's a denial here because there's such a shock. Within within days, we went from a normal lifestyle to having been on in quarantine, been shut down, and that's people are terrified of that. They're terrified, that they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit that there are restrictions. So I believe a big component aspect of what's going on in the world is denial. It's also grieving. There's a deep sadness, a sadness. What's happened? When is my life going to recover? There's all the the emotions that that Kubler-Ross describes in grieving and in mourning, we're all experiencing in the entire world. And I don't believe in human history that we've ever been so together in suffering.
0: It's true. The MS, the, uh, well, MS does part, uh, strike some people, but we had a conversation the other day about disability and the illusion that disability only afflicts a portion of the population when the truth is everybody has a kind, some kind, some manner of disability. But the fact is COVID, every single human creature on this planet, is vulnerable to it. And thank you for also introducing the concept of grief. I think we are grieving very, very hard. In fact, I feel like we're going through phases. And this phase, I notice a number of my friends are calling me and having what I consider memory lane conversations, talking about our recent history as if it was 20 or 30 years ago and really grieving for the the loss of the spontaneity of, let's say, the River to River Festival that would take place now in downtown Manhattan, which, of course, has moved to the virtual realm or something silly, something I like to do, which, you know, karaoke, going into a bar, teeming with people and you know, singing together and sharing a microphone—all the all the manifestations of the carefree life that we we had—we are grieving it. And now you'll know for a fact that I'm a rabbi's daughter because I want to remind our listeners, and I think um, some are aware that today is the saddest day in the Jewish calendar. It is the uh, Tisha B'Av the ninth day of the month of Av, which commemorates the destruction of the ancient temples, both the first and second in Jerusalem, and led to the dispersion of the Jews and the exile, as well as other calamities in Jewish history. And you read, it's traditional to read something called Echa, which is known in English as the Book of Lamentations. <clears throat> it details in excruciating, almost unbearable detail, the devastation of Jerusalem personified as a woman. And I did participate last night in a Zoom reading of the Book of Echa through my synagogue, which is Romamu, Rabbi David Ingber led it. And it's hard in a non-COVID world to read the very graphic renditions of, of the murder, the pillaging, the ruin, the... Just this unbelievable uh, grief and chaos, but it was it was just it, it, I wanted to flee last night. I found that I was I was participating um, almost frozen into my into my seat with a sense of horror. and I have to say, a sense of religious obligation. This happened, this is happening now. In order to get through it, we have to really examine it. And that's what we're doing today. Uh, Jeanette, with talking about your MS, in order to get through this, we have to look at this. We cannot prettify it. And MS is a monster. MS is the force that the, is the uh, rampaging armies that destroyed the temple. MS goes through the human body. So you gave us a chronology of time. Can I ask you to map your body and just talk about MS MS's progress, maybe starting at the top of your beautiful curly hair. And one thing I want viewers to know, and this is not mere flattery. I think this is a very important thing to discuss, uh, uh, viewers, listeners. This is this is a um, podcast after all. Listeners, if you were ever to walk into a conversation in a restaurant with social distancing, so it would be outdoors, where you would see Jeanette sitting opposite me. You would swear to me up and down that I am inventing a disease for this beautiful, vibrant, gorgeously healthy-looking woman who is sitting there. And then, of course, until Jeanette had to get up, you would not see that there is anything awry. So, Jeanette, one thing I want to talk about is, You look wonderful. Your complexion is not just good, but it's healthy, it's vibrant, it's alive. Your hair is lush and thick, and you speak, as all our listeners can hear, with command, a poetic command of the English language. So as a way into the mapping of MS's progress through your body from top to bottom, I want you to address the significant question of why it is that you look so good despite this disease.
2: I believe I have within me within myself a lot of love a lot of warmth and i believe my emotions are translated through my body through my face through through happiness i'm very grateful for the smallest thing and, and that's very empowering i'm not i'm not bitter i'm that i have this disease i'm, I'm sad that i live I'm unable to do many things I'd like to live, but I don't have any bitterness within me. And so I believe the fact that that I've not ridden with bitterness. I don't even express, I wouldn't say visually you would see sadness. I I don't, I'm I'm very grateful for any positive thing is that when my MS, Mm -hmm. when I began the journey with MS I used to walk it was almost it was like a prayer I would say, would be grateful gratitude the gratitude prayer I would say well thank goodness I can take this step and thank goodness I got to the door and I can open the door and I live with tremendous gratitude mm. and that's been very empowering uh for me I still live that way I'm very grateful although I have tremendous suffering in my body I there's deep suffering, pain. It's awful. There, mm-hmm. there, it's, it's indescribable. The only it's indescribable to portray it. I can if I can express it somewhat now, I, I struggle for independence. In my I don't want to, I'm trying to stay as independent as long as possible. I am in this striving to be independent, I in ambulation, I will stretch. I will make a movement, and in that movement, something can happen within a second, and that will happen, and it will remain with me. For example, I have horrible sensations in in my uh, neck, like s- someone is choking me, taking a rope, and pulling me by with a rope. It's 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 hard. There's no way to describe. It's awful. It's mm-hmm. agony, and with that feeling that tear. I'm sad. So I feel tearful. And there's a tearing. And that now has impacted the upper part My, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes to eat, that I'll choke to death. I have now learned a way when I feel on the verge that I am going to choke and it, it happens a couple times a week. I have developed a technique to save myself. And so far, it's pretty much worked. Hmm. Uh, As you go down my body, I'm feeling, I feel squeezing, like someone is squeezing me, my arms, tightness, numbness, heaviness, a heaviness of my legs, of my soul, of, of, I've even asked people, people, this shows people's unwillingness or denial. I said, you know, you could be me for five minutes Try, you, I'll tell you how to be me. All you need to do are take rubber bands, tight rubber bands, up and down your legs, leave them there. Put on your ankles five-pound weights. Walk the and with with shoes. Do that. T- then take a needle, a little needle, and prick your arms, pinprick, and you're able to replicate a little bit of a semblance of what I go through. But no one who I've asked, is willing to do it. I said, and you know what? Just do it five minutes, and then you're free. But I'm not free. I have mm-hmm. to remain this way, knowing that I will pro- I will deteriorate because I'm in the secondary progressive phase, and I'm trying to stall that deterioration as long as possible. So, Jeanette, um,
0: I have to say, listening to this, I... Both understand why nobody has the gumption to do that. And I'm also compelled to try this. And I think before our next broadcast, I am going to take that challenge and we can talk about that. And in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by David. Um, I do want to ask you specifically about your vision right now. What has been happening to your vision? And maybe just give our listeners a little bit of background about what is happening within you know neurologically that's leading to the conditions with with vision and the fear that you live with because you're such a highly visual person you're talking with such joy and passion about these the canes the beautiful artistic canes you have you know thank god a beautiful family and now a little grandson harry and the joy of seeing the faces of your loved ones what let's
2: Talk a little bit about the uh, visual fallout from MS. Okay. And I'll begin the first episode I had. I had a horrible episode and it occurred. It occurred um, actually in your dad's office. Uh, I was in therapy and then I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm going to be late for my son Jonathan's second grade event. And I became devastated. And I, at that moment, in your dad's office, I became blind in one eye. I had a, a, an attack of optic neuritis. The optic nerve, the, it was non-functional. Within a second, I went fully blind. Mm. Um, I, I tried different steroids. Nothing helped me. Now, as time is progressing, I, I was born as a young girl, I had high myopia. I, I, I didn't see well. High, I'm very nearsighted. Now my, I'm developing other problems in my right eye. Uh, and I am losing vision and I'm going through different uh, treatments, uh, d- different doctors. And it's, it's terrifying uh, because if I lose my vision, <laughs> I'm, I'm without sight. I, it's very hard for me to even talk about that. Right now, I'm trying to get my keep myself together because that would be, as you can imagine, uh, yes. without sight. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, it's very, I don't even... It's difficult for me to continue talking about that because I'm in the mm-hmm. midst of seeing neuro-ophthalmologists, different doctors regarding this situation, and it's, it's, um, it's mm-hmm. devastating. Even now, when I'm reading the paper... I have to read I love to read it's extremely difficult for me because I'm straining myself to read by bending my my neck my movement plus I'm not seeing well and I hunger to read to be I'm I'm a very visual person so the whole situation now the entire situation is is deeply traumatizing
0: mhm mhm and this brings us back to the our theme from episode two, cataloging loss. Um, What one goes through with MS is a series of losses without restoration. And yet I do want to say to quote your doctor who looked at the diagnostic tests, somehow your will is so strong that it has enabled you to do things that, that are quite simply physically and medically impossible and so I think this is a good a good moment to invite David. David, are you with us? Are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, David. So um, I, as Jeanette's son, you have been a witness to your mom's struggle with MS since your childhood. And as we discussed, when you grow up with your parents, whatever it is that they have, whether they are um, struggling with a condition, whether they have. Something funny about the way that they look, what they are your parents, and so that thing is normal to them. But when did you become aware that your mom had a condition and was different from other moms?
1: Um, I'd say became aware around the age of 12 because you know, when you initially get multiple sclerosis, um, I mean, every case is different, but it doesn't happen all of a sudden, it's as we were talking about progressive disease. And it was just, you know, happening gradually over time. But when I really started noticing was 12 because I started to see her struggling more with walking, just doing things that everyone else does subconsciously, lifting our legs or walking or running. We do that subconsciously, whereas it it was an effort for her to do that. And, you know, soon after it just became worse and worse. And I think after college, that's when it really started taking more of a toll because it, it became to the point where she could bear she could sometimes barely walk and you know I definitely saw you know you could say that would be it's just so tough to talk about this but um you could say that that would be a difference but you know what also was a difference what separates mm-hmm. is her will her will is unbelievable and I could also say that that has helped me deal with this because her will is just so, it's so positive. She's so strong, resilient, persevering, like the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And when I see her fall and she's able to get back up and being able to, to move on and do her activities, I mean, that's a difference right there. And that has helped me in so many ways. And if one thing that hasn't changed, I'm sorry, it has changed, it's just gotten stronger, is her will and determination to carry on.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And as your mom said, this is so perfectly relevant for this moment, right? We are being asked to push beyond what we're naturally capable of, and we really need the positivity uh, of this moment, right? There are, I know uh, uh, it's very easy to go down a road of despair, whether you're combating an illness, whether one is in the, the present moment right now. Um, I comfort myself by reminding myself that the pandemics have happened before, right? Mm-hmm. And we, the world has, there have been casualties. There have been too many casualties But we have gone on, and after the pandemic of 1918 came the roaring 20s and this great profusion of the arts. And we can look to all different kinds of um, renaissance uh, following the dark ages and plagues. And Jeanette, your example and the example you're setting for David, you're also setting for everyone in your life and everyone who knows you. And that's part of the reason behind this podcast and, and behind the work itself, which is that um, I think, and I'll get theological here. I think what God, the almighty creator of the universe, whatever one wants to call the force who created the human creature and this beautiful, beautiful suffering world I think that force wants us to fight. I think there's something uh, of great merit to challenging, right? Uh, An obstacle is put in front of us. We are meant to find a creative way around that obstacle. That's been the course of human history. And Jeanette, what you're doing in the course of your MS, you're charting new territory. You're doing things. I think you're rewriting the narrative, right? You're not. The typical, first of all, there's nothing victim. You're not a victim of MS. You're made strong. MS is not for sissies. That's the name of this. And you have, every time I see you, and it could be because you actually have a mane, mane of hair, you strike me as the mother lion, the lioness of MS, right? And David, you're witnessing it and it radiates outward so that I have to say, I think of you, as having that same kind of beautiful uh, diamond-like glow and intensity, light coming out of you. And I just want to say another thing. When the three of us have gotten together, even after that insane trip that we undertook to Letchworth two years ago, we laugh a lot. We sit and we laugh. And sometimes we laugh because things are so screwed up. But sometimes there is, things are actually funny. There's, There's humor to be found. I mean, do you want to, before we sign off, as I see we're, we're nearing the end, but can you talk about that? Because there's a lot of levity. There's a lot of positivity. David, how, talk about that, the laughter. And your mom's a funny person. She's, she appreciates a good joke. There's, there's a lot of laughter amid the, the struggle.
1: Oh, yeah. she. Um, in all this struggle, we always find a way to laugh, joke around about random things. And, you know, back in the day, I mean, I've heard stories. She's always told me stories to my brother and I that she used to dance a lot. She used to you know, just be out and about. And even if she she just needs a chair and mm-hmm. she just started dancing. And I say, Mom, you're the dancing mama. Uh, you, <laughs> you, have, uh, you have MS, but you're the dancing mama. You still haven't lost your rhythm. And, uh, you know, we always um, like have a good time about that and you know we st- we joke around so much I mean if we're always serious it just it's just gonna wear on you you always have mm-hmm. to find I mean just we naturally like to joke around you know have great conversations a- and even during that intense um uh, visit to Letsworth you know even that squirrel coming towards you like we're, even though you screamed later we were having a great laugh about it you know oh, it's sure it's always um it definitely um Even though we go through so much, we always um, still manage to have a great time and joke around.
0: Right. All right. Thank you. So I see that our time is running out. Thank you, Jeanette. And thank you, David. I am Shira Dicker, your host for Living at the Mercy of the Moment, a podcast for the pandemic. If you like what you're hearing, please share it with your friends and family. We also welcome feedback. You can email me at shira dicker18 at gmail.com. That is S H I R A D I C K E R 18 at gmail.com. And look for our Living at the Mercy of the Moment online site coming soon.